Are we going to get to zero this way? Probably not. But we think we can get to maybe 60% of the way there. And then what we're hoping is that some technology becomes available. For example, the things that are going on in the carbon sequestration world have a lot of promise. They're just not here yet. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Smart Energy Voices. I'm John Fiella, founder of Smart Energy Decisions. If you've enjoyed this season of episodes, we'd be so thankful if you'd take a moment to leave us a five-star review. This week, we're excited to share the opening keynote from our recent Innovation Summit featuring Scott Bargerstock, Director of Manufacturing Productivity and Global Energy at Mohawk Industries, in which he shares his insights on how he is building the green bridge with Mohawk Industries' efforts to decarbonize and save money without a formal net zero goal. Let's listen to Scott. I'm certainly honored to be in front of this group of innovators. What we're going to kind of talk about is, is, is we're a global manufacturer. We have a lot of products, a lot of customers. Some of our products have customers that are very attuned to sustainability, but a lot of our customers are not. So we as a company are struggling through how do we transition through this sustainable journey and how do we do it in a cost-effective manner? We are not one of those companies that's going to go jump out and get renewable energy or something along those lines because we can. We're going to do it if it makes financial sense to our stockholders. So we're going to kind of walk through that journey a little bit. I called it building the green bridge to less carbon. One of the things I wanted to look at was kind of what innovation is. The first one there is the one we often think of for innovation. It's that aha moment and we all go, wow. But what I really want to focus on is, is more the second one, because I think everybody in this room fits the bill of the second one. Certainly the supplier group here, the user group here, we're all trying to find something new that makes us smarter, faster, better, quicker more profitable. Think about just a few years ago, you would have never heard the term PPA, VPPA. All the distributed generation assets that are available now that weren't available just a few years ago. So we as an industry, we as companies, we as suppliers and and customers are all innovating to find a better way to get there. Think of yourself as an innovator. Think of your company as an innovator because you're doing something different to create different results. I've been with Mohawk since 2015. Some of the things we've done, we put five megawatts of combined heat and power at a plant in Tennessee. One of our Italian plants is putting in a 10 megawatt third-party supply system. We already have three additional CHPs in Italy. We've done about 10 million square feet of industrial LED retrofits. We're doing a lot of boiler controls. Our carpet side, we use a lot of steam. We're trying to figure out how to do that better. Compressed air system control technology. We have a number of plants where we have well over 10,000 horsepower worth of air compressors. We want to control those as a population. 
Steam reduction, again, we use a lot of that. We probably don't need to use as much. We're looking for things like alternative technologies, infrared as opposed to steam, to try to drive product. We're doing a lot of uh, variable drive technology. I'm working on two projects right now that I've actually had to go back and convince the Italian manufacturer that there was value there. Fortunately, both of them have agreed with us. So we're, we're going to move forward on putting that technology in place. We do a lot of data analytics. You're going to hear a lot about the surveys and stuff. Deborah does a ton of them. It's really important to understand what your profile looks like. And then, of course, we also do some behavior stuff. We like to have people turn the lights off when they leave the room. But more importantly, we want them to control set points. We want them to not run equipment when it isn't needed. The question comes up is, is how does a global company manage ESG expectations? Of course, our companies or facilities that are in the EU are regulated by law. So they're having to make the change. Here in the United States, one of our groups that is a relatively modest percentage of our total revenue has made a net pledge for zero carbon. So the question is, does that infer rest of us by guilt by association? Or how do we manage this? The reality is, is, is you can't get away from it. Even though a lot of our products don't have customers that expect sustainable solutions, it's incumbent upon us as a company to recognize that and figure out how to get from point A to point B. Again, that mixed customer response, it's not quite clear. But how do we take, make, and manage these sustainability commitments for a small number, modest number of products, but expand that across the whole company portfolio? We see a lot more engagement from the investment community now. And in Europe, we're seeing influence from the finance community as far as the ability to obtain financing and their receptiveness to some of the things we're doing. So as a company, ESG influence is something that we should not and cannot ignore. So if we kind of look at what energy do we consume, we're, we're considered to be a very large manufacturer from an energy consumption standpoint. The challenge we have is, is thermal dominates way over electric. For us, we're the world's largest ceramic tile manufacturer. It's really hard to make ceramic tile without natural gas. We're looking at lots of alternatives, but it's really a challenge to try to do that. So we have to look at both the electric side, which is for us is a lot easier, but the thermal side is certainly a challenge. We have a very large biomass capacity, in particular Europe. We have a large footprint here in the U.S., and we're looking at expanding that at two additional facilities that we're studying right now. Like I said, we have CHP at our Tennessee plant. We're looking at internal renewable generation as well. We have a little bit of solar PV. We're looking to find places where we can fit that, where it fits into the portfolio and gives us a cost advantage on the power side. I would say we have a maturing company culture for any energy consumption reduction. Fortunately, the power and the, particularly the natural gas events that have occurred over the last, since July of last year, have really helped us become a much more mature company relative to energy consumption. When the accountants last week said, oh my God, because we're, we're a large year-over-year company, I don't know if yours are, but when he was comparing the, the natural gas costs from July of 21 to July of 20, he went, they've gone up 100%. Well, two reasons. One is 2020 is a terrible baseline year for anything. But more importantly, the, the cost of gas has gone up. So that has made all of a sudden it's turned a whole lot of people into energy consumption reduction freaks. So as an energy guy, it's fantastic. I've been trying to tell them that for the whole time I've been there, and it only took natural gas prices to go up. 
for it to happen. So, so that's a good thing. We're trying to take advantage of that to see if we can't continue that leverage, grow that support, and take advantage of all the opportunities that are out there. Our energy users, we're, we're seeing a lot of challenges at the plant level. How can you make more product with less energy? I was just looking at, we have a metric that we look at for energy intensity, which is basically how much energy do I use to make a unit of measure product? Now we do that, we do it some different, some like ceramic tile, it's by square foot. For laminate, it's square foot. For carpet, it's by square yard. And then we have a lot of the products that go into the carpet, we do it by the pound. But we look at those all the time to see is where's our trend? So I was looking just before this today and I, it was kind of nice to see We've got over the, the COVID blip because 2020 was not a good year for us. 2021 improved dramatically. We're back. We're actually, a lot of our products are below where they were in 19. So that's a good thing. So this trend that we're seeing internally of people caring more about energy costs and reducing our consumption is a really good thing. The key is, is how do you reduce carbon and save money? That's always the challenge, right? As a customer company, as a manufacturer, that's the magic elixir, right? That's the secret sauce. So one of the things we did, we started to look at when we make an investment, what's the results from an emission standpoint? So if I make an investment to reduce one metric ton CO2E, how much did that cost? And does that vary on the project type? So we started thinking along it like that line. So then we said, okay, well, let's look at some other things. How about CHP? How does it do? Then, of course, we went to renewables. Okay, so how solar PV do? How does wind do? And picking those up. The thing that was really interesting for our sustainability people was, is we did a project at one of our plants that up to that point had used steam for seasonal heating in the winter. It's a plant up in Virginia, so it tends to be cold. So their natural gas consumption for the steam to heat that plant was a big number. It was close to almost 200,000 decatherms a year just to heat the plant above and beyond production. So we built a project and said, and it ended up being a multi-million dollar project, but we said, what if we put in infrared heat? We use substantially less natural gas. We'll be able to control the comfort level better. We'll be able to retire these ancient boilers that were early 70s vintage, and we're going to save 20 million gallons of water. So the sustainability people wanted to see their preference was solar PV at the plant. So we did an analysis and we compared those two and we found out that the, the seasonal heating project we did with the infrared saved almost nine times the emissions in metric tons of CO2E compared to the solar PV. The payback ended up being about a year and a half to two years as we gather the numbers, we'll be able to lock that in tighter. The solar PV one was about 15 to 18 years. And we were going to save 20 million gallons of water, which, of course, solar PV would not. So it was interesting to see the reaction of our sustainability team to that comparison. We made a friend there. Hey, maybe this isn't so bad. Maybe energy consumption projects might be a good way to get from where we are to where we want to be. So what we have here is, as I mentioned, we kind of looked at the relative costs of capital to gain a reduction of one metric ton of emissions. So if we look, some of the things, waste heat recovery, as I mentioned, we use a lot of, of natural gas to fire ceramic tile. If we reuse that heat somewhere else, it ends up being very cost effective. Significant change 
in emissions for those product lines. Energy reduction is just kind of that, the inverters, the steam reduction programs, the compressed air technology controls, all those kind of fit into that camp. CHP is very cost effective. It just, capital wise, it's a bigger, bigger nut to take on, a lot higher capital. One of the reasons why we're, also, we're looking at some third-party CHP now so that we can kind of stretch, put those in without necessarily spending our capital dollars towards that. Because a manufacturing guy looks at an energy project and goes, ah, they kind of snicker their nose. They'd much rather spend that capital on their production equipment rather than energy. And then you can kind of see solar PV and wind, one, it takes a lot of capital to reduce that one metric ton of emissions. And the payback is not near as good as some of the energy consumption. So from a standpoint of where's the best place to invest my dollar, we think it's over on these three left columns. And then a lot of our plants are in the southwest and the southeast where power, industrial power rates are very low. You know, when solar PV gets competitive, we're going to jump on it. But until then, we're going, to try, we're going to spend our money in these other areas. We're not very creative on names. We, you know, we have Flooring North America, and we have Global Ceramic, and I think our last group is Rest of World. So we're not very creative when it comes to business unit names in our corporation. Our energy group, so we fit right on. So it's the green-green approach. One of the greens equals operational savings and a smart investment. Where can I reduce emissions, save some energy consumption dollars, and make a good investment for our stockholders and our stakeholders. The other green, of course, equals that emissions reduction because we want to be a responsible environmental company. We want to do it in a wise way, but we want, and we want to be innovative. We think maybe this approach might be a way for us to get, to, are we going to get to zero this way? Probably not. But we think we can get to maybe 60% of the way there. And then what we're hoping is that some technology becomes available, for example, some advanced, some of the, the things that are going on in the carbon sequestration world have a lot of promise. They're just not here yet. So we're watching and waiting on those, and hopefully we'll be able to use something along those lines to get to the next 40%. Now, they're also working on things like introduction of hydrogen into kilns. We think that has possibility. They're also, there's actually an all-electric kiln available but the cost associated with that becomes absurd. So you almost invest as much in the electrical infrastructure as you do the actual kiln itself, because each kiln uses like two megawatts, so to give you an idea. So energy consumption reduction opportunities abound. So what we found is, is we found some really odd things that we don't think a lot of other people do. We've tried VFDs on hydraulic presses. We have a lot of presses in the ceramic tile world. Well, I happened to come across an article on, a, on an outfit in the UK that was, did it on a small press, and it worked really well. So we have a plant that has some small presses. I talked them into trying two of them, and they're so happy with it, they've already got plans to do 12 more. They're in the first set of six right now, and by the end of the year, they hope to do the second set of six. And they found some benefits we hadn't even thought of. They found out that the, the press, the noise level because of this much more efficient operation, went down 10 dBs. That pushed us below the require for, for full-time hearing protection, which if you're associated with EHS programs, saves you a lot of money because now I don't have to do mandatory testing on my employees that are in that area. And that's a fairly large chunk of the employees at that plant. So 
there's lots of stuff out there that isn't found anywhere else. You, you just have to look and be creative. So now we're trying to take that same technology and ramp it up to our large presses. The challenge I had there was, is we have these small presses that are worth a quarter million, and then we have big presses that are worth two million each. For some reason, there's a perception that that $2 million press is different than that quarter million dollar press. It's bigger. You can't do it. Hydraulics are hydraulics, right? So we're going to get one of those piloted this year. And hopefully once we have one piloted, we roll it out really fast across our total press population. It's always a challenge getting internal capital. Again, energy projects aren't sexy compared to manufacturing projects. I'm going through the same management tree for approvals. We're going to try to take advantage of this change we've seen in our company on how important energy is. All of a sudden, now that they're paying a lot more for it, it's suddenly become much more important, right? So we want to take advantage of that. We're, again, looking at third-party options. That's an additional capital reservoir. A lot of folks in here provide third-party solutions. Those are the kind of co that we as companies ought to at least consider. We found a little bit of hurdle from our finance side, but we're getting overcoming that and I think we'll get something soon on the third-party side. There's some companies that have got dedicated capital out there. There's several companies you've seen announcements lately. I think, fortunately, the, the thing that Smart Energy Decisions puts out is very informative, and there's been several lately where companies have taken on $500 million, a billion in capital just for their sustainability effort. That's certainly something to be considered. And again, the, the emerging technology for some of the alternative thermal fuels hydrogen, and then, of course, carbon sequestration that we talked a little bit about. So back to innovation a little bit. Okay, innovation is just not that wow moment. It's everything we do, everybody in this room does every day to try to do it a little bit better, a little bit faster, a little bit quicker, a little bit more profitable. That's innovation. So that's really what we're all here to talk about is what can we do together to move us as an industry, to move us as a country into being smarter, faster, better than the other guy or gal. If you're talking about from a work, from a, a team leadership standpoint, things like find others' ideas and adapt them to your situation. I really like to parrot, pilot, steal somebody else's idea and figure out how to make it work. Go back to the press example. I found a small outfit in, in the UK that had done it, took it, made it work. Now we're, we're going to try to roll it across our whole company. So there's lots of opportunities for that. Takes a lot of courage to be an innovator, doesn't it? To be a little bit different. Sometimes you're speaking a different voice in your team, in your company. But sometimes that different voice is the right path. So be courageous. Again, leverage within and across your company. We found that we've been able to take, we have a lot of different equipment, a lot of different processes within the different types of flooring that we manufacture, but we found a ton of similarities. We found some cases, we found some really large equipment, about three or 400 kW total, that we have European manufacturers put AC induction motors in a terrible environment. They run from zero load to full load, up and down all the time. Well, if you're an electrical guy, you know that, or gal, that's terrible. That is not what you want to do with an AC induction motor. So what we've, we're working on that solution, and then what we found is as we looked at that, we found that all over our company. So we're going to look at trying to find solutions to that all over the company. You know, and don't wait. Aspire to beat the other person. Being first isn't too bad sometimes. You don't want to be bleeding edge, but it's really nice to be leading edge, right? And then evolve the plan and maintain the course. We found we've 
We've laid out plans, and, and every time, by the time we go back and look at them, they've changed a whole bunch. So don't be afraid to change. Adapt. Overcome. Be a Marine. And then the last one is, is make sure you involve and motivate the internal team. We just heard in the, the elect, car electrification fleet, one of the things that they strongly encouraged was is that you get the whole team involved. Get everybody on board ahead of time. It, it diminishes internal resistance. It, it helps provide additional ideas. It helps provide additional backup and impetus when it comes to, to sometimes making that tough decision. So involve and motivate. That's some of the things that I think everybody in this room most likely does a lot is, is you, in, you motivate within your team. So that's certainly something that we would encourage. So innovation. Don't worry about the aha and the wow. Worry about that. Go back to making that really small change that results in success. Thank you. Thanks, Scott, for providing a wonderful opening keynote at our Innovation Summit. I'd also like to thank you, our community of listeners, for tuning into the podcast and being a part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. If you've enjoyed the episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. To learn more about how you can become a part of the next Smart Energy Decisions event, just click on the link in the show notes for details. We're honored to have the opportunity to share conversations with leaders of the energy transition in this podcast, on our website, and at our events, all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. 